0: This audio recording is presented by City Church Orlando.
1: This morning's scripture comes from selections from the book of Proverbs. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. This is God's word. Please be seated.
0: Uh, you know what an audible is, right, in football? The quarterback steps up to the line and uh, realizes that the defense is in a formation he was not ready for, and uh, the best of which is Peyton Manning steps back and through weird vocalizations and hand movements, uh, changes at the line of scrimmage uh, where the offense is going to go. I'm gonna do. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm gonna do the children's ministry a favor. I'm gonna make uh, this a two-part sermon, game time decision here. Uh, I had three points. I will just list off the second point and preach it next week. Um, And I'll tell you why here in a minute. Now, I still think I can go over my time, but at least I've done you one favor in uh, taking something away from you. Let's imagine that when you walked in the door this morning, you were handed a small piece of paper. And on the piece of paper, before Aaron did the gathering song, he said, listen, on that small piece of paper, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write down the three most powerful things you own. Or, or maybe said another way, uh, write down your three most powerful resources, or what are the three things that you have access to uh, that have the most potency, If we were to collect uh, your thoughts, I think we'd see a lot of these answers. Uh, Money, stocks, relationships, education, uh, employment, lack of employment, uh, possessions, uh, skills, talents, uh, maybe even your actual physical body. Uh, These would be the things that you consider most powerful in your repertoire. I would guess that uh, not many, if any of us would say words, the ability to speak, the ability to communicate. That is my most powerful resource. Not only does the book of Proverbs say your ability to communicate is your most powerful resource, it says that it's your most valuable resource. It is the resource you have that can bring about the most beauty in the world. Think about what, the book of Proverbs says, nowhere else does the book of Proverbs say this, that something has the power of life and death. Chapter 18. Of nothing else is it said that it is a kiss on the lips. Chapter 24. And no other resource you have, does the book of Proverbs say, gives you the ability to bring about the result of apples of gold in settings of silver. Did you know that in the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has more to say about our tongues, our our speech, our lips, our mouths, our words. It says more about that, that than any other subject under the umbrella of wisdom. What comes out of our mouths is discussed more in the book of Proverbs than the heart, than money, than beauty, than marriage, than parenting, than planning. Any topic of wisdom you come up with is spoken of less frequently in the book of Proverbs than your ability to communicate. Of all the topics on wisdom, words are paramount. Maybe it's good that we talk about this two weeks anyway. We'll talk about it this way. The power of words And then I will very briefly list off the anatomy of life-giving words. I'll preach on that next week. And then we'll end with the source of healing words. Let me pray. Most gracious God and heavenly Father, it is frequent that I stand here and I can hear Jesus say that that there are times where you have to listen to what the teacher says, but you should not look at their life because when we sit in Moses' seat, we have to communicate your word, but so often our lives do not communicate the same. I confess before thee that I am not a man Who uses words wisely. And I am not a man who builds up and encourages and affirms and brings about life with his words. I have to confess that I am a man who is harsh and I evaluate and I tear down. So, God, I ask that you would be gracious to me, but more importantly, be gracious to this audience. Allow them to hear your word delivered through a sinful man who not only is sinful in general, but is specifically inept at what he talks about today. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We thank you that we can even stand here and talk about such things as painful as this may be, that we can stand here hopeful, excited, even worshiping you because you have dealt with our sin and you have dealt with our inability and you have dealt with our lack in the cross. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask that you would, in fact, teach us this morning. You are the word that became flesh. Would you, by your spirit, make your words food for us this morning? Amen. The power of words, it has the, the words have the power of death and life. Look at chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I don't have time to explain and illustrate and apply um, all of these different angles and perspectives, but I'm just gonna breeze through these Proverbs I put in the worship folder uh, to just uh, look at the breadth of what the Proverbs is saying. We're gonna know this by experience, but rarely do we sit down and think about this reality that that, that words have the power of death and life in so many realms, in the physical realm, uh, the emotional realm, the spiritual realm, even the realm of community, Look at this uh, comprehensive and diverse power that words have for either good or evil mentioned in the book of Proverbs and think about the spiritual and physical realm mentioned in chapter 16 verse 24 gracious words are like honeycomb sweetness to the soul uh, that that would be expected but listen to this and health to the body that words have the power Uh, to make the soul sweet and the body uh, healthy? Did you know that family members are often used in speaking uh, words to patients who are in a coma? Um, And when family members speak to uh, someone who is in a coma, brain activity will begin to go off um, in their uh, noggins as uh, the words that have so much power uh, take root in them physically, Think about the spiritual realm, chapter 15, verse four. Think about this comprehensive and diverse power that words has for good or evil. Chapter 15, verse four, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness, so twisted uh, faults, uh, could mean hatred, could mean deception, but a perverse tongue breaks. It means shatters. It, It means crushes the spirit. If you look through the Old Testament, you're gonna see this word for break. You're gonna see it used concretely of a bone snapped in an injury of the earth rent by an earthquake of a potter's vessel shattering when it hits the ground. The book of Proverbs says the wise person understands that what their tongue produces has that kind of power. Think about the emotional realm, chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety arises about uh, when we think about uncertainty about the future, and then persistent anxiety. So, if we're constantly thinking about the uncertainty of the future, we can get into slip into something that a lot of translations would just uh, put here as depression. Uh, Literally, the uh, the uh, weighs him down. The heart weighs him down. And this proverb suggests that an antidote, or at least one antidote, to some versions of depression is this: encouraging good words. Such. Is the power of a word. I was reading an article this week on MSNBC.com. It was entitled, A Mom's Voice is Powerful Medicine. And these researchers from the University of Wisconsin ran an experiment to determine if a voice could be as comforting as physical hugs and kisses. So this was the experiment they set up. They took girls ages seven through 12. And They asked them to give a speech that um, they had an hour to prepare, and then they asked them to solve math problems all in front of a board of judges, uh, something that they were uh, sure would raise uh, the anxiety levels in the girls and cause their hearts uh, to pound. Before the performances, the, the researchers measured the levels of the two uh, important hormones, uh, oxytocin and, and cortisol. Cortisol, I guess, goes up during times of stress and, and oxytocin um, goes up when you're bonding with someone you love. It's called the bonding or love hormone. I'm, I'm, I'm unawares as to how to speak of that more than what I just said. It has been generally assumed that there has to be physical contact for this bonding hormone to be released. So when these girls are finished uh, their speeches, they finish their math problems, they're divided into three uh, rooms. Remember, they've already measured the level of the hormones in each girl. In the first room, uh, moms were waiting for their daughters with hugs and kisses and scripted words of assurances that they uh, had memorized. In a second room, girls received phone calls from their mothers, and they heard the same verbal reassurances that uh, were given to the girls in the first room. And in the third room, these girls watched the heartwarming movie, uh, March of the Penguins. Haven't seen it, but uh, I guess they were trying to see if they could uh, play with their hormone levels through a movie. Uh, Not surprising to anyone, girls who watched the movie were still stressed after an hour. And the girls who watched the movie did not have any rise in their oxytocin, indicating they did not bond with the movie. What was surprising to the researchers, and actually went against what they predicted, was that the girls in the first two rooms had identical experiences, In both the girls that were actually touched and comforted by their moms and those who were comforted over the phone, in both groups, stress went down and oxytocin went up. Up till this point, all the research assumed that there had to be physical touch involved for bond and love and for the decrease of stress. But listen um, to what uh, the researcher uh, said in shock as to what they found. This goes against all the literature suggesting that you need to have physical contact for oxytocin levels to rise. Then he says this, but all that research was based on rodents. (laughs) There you go. Seven-year-old girls are different than rodents. Go figure. They were shocked that humans responded different than animals, but I am not Surprised. Do you know why? Because when God created everything that is, He spoke it into existence. He didn't say, Let's make some light. He said, Let there be light, and there it was. That the God from all eternity past, who was a trinity, communicating with each other, affirming one another, glorifying each other, living in community and conversation, that God said, let's make human beings in our image. And so the voice of a mom has the power to decrease stress, and increase love over the phone. Such is the power of the spoken word. Think about the realm of community. Uh, This, again, we're just looking over the comprehensive and diverse power that words have for good or evil in our life, in our community, in, in our world. 1627, A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. 1628, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer or a gossiper, a murmurer, which is not a word. A whisperer separates close friends. These two Proverbs are saying that the speech of a worthless man, the speech of a fool, a wicked man, can be so destructive to community. That words, whether they're dishonest or they're words that are factual and true, but they're, they're, they're given in hatred, that these words can spread through a community like a scorching forest fire, The word here that's used for spread is the same word used in Judges chapter 15. You remember that story where Samson takes foxes and he ties their tails together and he lights them on fire and he sends them out into the cornfield of the Philistines. That's what the proverb writer says about words um, that are hateful and untrue and dishonest and sent in gossip, that it can have the same effect on community. Think about what James says in James chapter three. If you haven't figured this out yet, uh, James is the New Testament book of Proverbs. It's quite fascinating to see how often they line up. But look at these metaphors and illustrations, these word pictures that James uses for the tongue, uh, that it's such a small body part, and yet it boasts of incredible things. He says in verse three, it's like a bit in a horse's mouth which causes the horse to obey. Or chapter four, it's like the massive ships that are powered by strong winds, but the ship ultimately goes where the captain guides it with the relatively small rudder and then there's a massive forest fire verse 5 that is is the result of a small spark I was in uh, southern california probably five or six years ago now. I can't remember visiting a friend. And at that time, uh, a, a, large portion, a large portion of the southern part of the state was fighting against uh, forest fires. Like they, um, they run the risk every year and millions of dollars was being spent to fight the fire. Thousands of homes had been destroyed. Many people were displaced and disoriented and their most valuable uh, possessions were gone. But most tragically, dozens of lives were lost. And this is how it all got started. The careless flick of a cigarette. James and Proverbs are saying that an entire community can be ravaged, destroyed, burnt down by dishonesty and gossip in one man's tongue. Such is the power of. Of words. While we're on the topic of illustrations, look at the other illustration given in your list of scripture this morning from chapter 12, verse 18, and think about the power of life and death. Words can pierce and slash. Words have the power because they can penetrate into the deepest part of who you are. Words go inside of us, they take up residence in our hearts and souls. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Earlier this week, I was um, getting cleaned up, taking a shower after uh, doing some work in the yard and Trisha came in on the other side of the glass and she was asking me some questions. Uh, I'm sure it had to do with the kids or schedules or something, get out of the shower. A couple minutes later, um, I'm ironing some clothes and my towel and uh, kind of getting ready for whatever the next part of my day is. And she comes in and she kind of stops for a second and she looks at me and she goes, how long has it been since you went to the Y? Uh. <laughs> now, what I later found out was that she hadn't been in weeks. She was thinking maybe we should put it on hold. That'd be a good financial decision. She's trying to find out where we can cut corners here or there. But I did not think finances. <laughs> I mean, it went past my ears, it went past my brain, it went into the inner parts of my being. Listen, when you speak a word, and listen, Trisha was not wrong in what she said. I'm just illustrating the power words can have on the one who hears. When you speak a word, you can never get it back. Words, according to the book of Proverbs, last longer than deeds, The illustration is that of a sword. If you lose your temper, if you wanna really belittle someone, if you want power over them, if you just unleash one word, you can send that word deep into the heart and soul of the one who hears. And if you realize I've made a mistake, maybe that word wasn't true, maybe that word wasn't loving, maybe I need to change my mind, the illustration is this, you can pull a sword out but you cannot deal with the wound. That even if someone comes along with a surgical tongue and heals that soul, there will still be a scar. My kids say something that kids have been saying for years and it's utterly not true. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is not true. True. As one commentator said, sticks and stones can only break your bones, but words can crush your spirit. Chapter 15, verse 4. Listen, words have so much power. You, and I say this very carefully, you go to a young girl right now and call her fat. And she will spend the rest of her life trying to not be the label you put on her, or she'll spend the rest of her life fulfilling that prophecy. Either way, unbelievable power is unleashed on that girl in one word. You call someone uh, lazy, uh, ugly, uh, stupid, a liar, a thief you pop that sword right into their heart. Change your mind and pull it out But you cannot begin to deal with what the sword has done. Such is the power of words according to the book of Proverbs. Listen to what Nathaniel Hawthorne said. Words so innocent and powerless when standing in a dictionary, how potent for good or evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to combine them. At the same time, not only can words penetrate into the depths of who we are and have power in our lives for a very long time, the absence of certain words can destroy you. The absence of certain words can disease you and eventually kill you. I assisted at a funeral very early in my ministry at the church I was working at in Lakeland. I was an associate pastor, and it was very, very early on in my time there. I think I just read some scripture and said a prayer, but I was there with the senior pastor from Trinity at the graveside staying until everyone left, and just about everyone was gone, and my boss was over to the side uh, ministering to part of the family, and I watched a grown man twice my age go to the grave that was about to be put into the ground, and he wept, and he said over and over, why couldn't you just say I love you? Why couldn't you just say, I love you? A grown man to the casket of his dad, why couldn't you just say, I love you? The Bible says that in order to be fully human, we need certain words in the same way that we need air, that we need sunshine, that we need food and water. Jesus says in Matthew 4, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God listen i know i fail my children and so Many ways, and I know that one day they will be probably sitting with friends and family and counselors working through some of the stuff I've done in their lives. I know it, I call it out. I hope I'm not prophesying it, but one thing I learned at that graveside that day was to never use words of affirmation sparingly with my kids. When I take them to breakfast one-on-one once a month, I just try and say as many kind and affirming and loving things as possible. I've told you about when I leave uh, to go away out of uh, state and have to fly that before I get on the flight to come home, I will text, email, and call Tricia uh, to make sure she knows that I love her before I leave. But when I get home, uh, I love it when I get home late and the kids are already in bed because one of my favorite practices is to go where they're already asleep and whisper into their ears my love for them. I tell them your dad loves you. Your dad is so proud of you. You're beautiful to him. You're courageous. You're loving. You're brave. You're the most valuable thing your dad has beside your mom. Words have unbelievable power. I'll summarize and I'll transition with this uh, story. It's somewhat comical, but I hope that it's, uh, it's helpful. I call it two words within 12 hours. Uh, back in the spring... I had preached what I felt was a pretty mediocre to poor sermon in the night service. That's the problem. You gotta remember the other part of this church comes at night. Um, and when I preach a bad sermon in the morning, I've got a couple hours to make it better. But when I preach a good sermon in the morning, I generally think I can go to the night and do the same. But um, I, I, I did a fine job in the morning, if I do say so myself. And uh, I went and, and I, I delivered a horrible, horrible sermon. And I was tired and I was frustrated. And frankly, I was feeble. And someone walked up to me afterwards and they asked me about a decision that I had made earlier that week. It did not relate to the sermon, it did not relate to worship. And they asked me uh, about a decision that I had made. And when I told them the decision that I had made, they said two words and walked away. They said, That's stupid. To which I muttered, They couldn't hear me. Well, you're stupid. (laughs) You're stupid. For being a fully grown human being and saying stupid. Stupid. <laughs> I slipped out of the rotunda. I literally felt like a snake slithering out of the rotunda. I went home, I was deeply discouraged, I'll just be honest. Uh, on the way home, I was outlining my letter of resignation. This is how how this is how I work. You, you don't even resign without like having a point, a few subpoints. And so I was outlining. <laughs> all the reasons why everyone would have a better life if I would just resign. I get home, spend some time with Tricia, crash in the bed. And in my head, I'm, I'm still thinking through my next job. The next morning, I woke up. I did CBR like I always do. I thought more about resigning, and I turned on my phone and read this email that I had received early that morning. Ted? Just wanted to say thanks for your sermon last night. You seemed a little discouraged about it in your prayer at the end, but I was so deeply convicted and encouraged by your words. I don't ever remember hearing detailed teaching on those particular verses. Thanks for teaching us so well week after week. Also, thanks for leading our church through CBR. Romans 5 says uh, this, and it made my morning how encouraging that we put our hope in God and he won't disappoint us. I hope you have a great week. Thanks for all you do. I should tell you her name so she would be encouraged, but I won't. I ripped up the letter of resignation in my mind and thought maybe I could be helpful for just one more week. Such are the power of words from resigning to reinvigorated in 10 hours. Words can discourage and they can destroy and they can build up and they can bring about life. Mother Teresa said, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are endless. Who are you? Who do you want to be? Two questions as we transition to end. Who are you and who do you want to be? Are you a person who uses their words to encourage, to build up, to affirm, to bring healing, to give life? Or a person who tears down, discourages, brings on depression, and eventually death? I know who I am. I'm the guy who says that's stupid. But I want to be the one who writes the emails that puts the winds in the sails of those around them. I'm gonna skip the anatomy of life-giving words. I'll talk about that next week. I was gonna go through and talk through what words look like. But instead, I wanna offer you and I hope in how we can possibly become the kind of person who uses their words to give life and grace and healing and rest to others. Last point. Last point the source of our healing words. Worst case scenario for you right now, worst case scenario for you right now is to determine that you're gonna be an affirmer. Worst case scenario is for you to right now think of the people you can get into accountability groups with and to talk about how to do better at being a a person who affirms. The worst thing you could do now if I'd have given these five or six characteristics of the anatomy of life-giving words, the worst thing you could do is to chart these, grade yourself in your life, and work as hard as you can to becoming a more affirming, encouraging, life-giving person. Worst thing you can do. You cannot change your tongue. James 3, 6-8, through 8, and the tongue is a fire Poison. Listen, to increase in healing words, to increase in the kind of person that draws others up and builds them up and doesn't tear them down, we have to remember where our words come from. Chapter 16, verse 23 The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious It's literally the word prudent. It's one of the synonyms for wisdom. Listen to the redundancy of that. The heart of the wise makes his speech wise and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Here's the problem. Words clothe your thoughts. Words embody your thoughts and your feelings and the inner realities of who you are. Words help everyone, including yourself, see what's on the inside. Your thoughts are made visible with words. Jesus said in Matthew 12 that it's out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In a word, the only way for us to increase in life giving words and decrease in death giving words is to have our hearts dealt with in the gospel. The only way for our hearts to become sweet so that our words are sweet. The only way for our hearts to become gracious so our words are gracious. The only way for our hearts to become true so that our words are true. The only way for our hearts to come to life so that our words come to life is to have Jesus deal more substantially with our hearts and not particularly our words. And so what this sermon points us back to hopefully, like every sermon, is a desperate need for Jesus, the gospel, and communion. We'll talk more about that in a second. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you receive the silent treatment on the cross so that I could have the heavenly father say to me and to us that we're the beloved children of God. Would you convince us by your spirit? Would you have your spirit bear witness to our hearts that this reality is true, that we're the children of God? Would you speak into our hearts, you're beautiful by faith. Would you speak into our hearts, you're loved by grace. Would you speak into our hearts that those sinful and rebellious were adored and righteous because of Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross? Would you make our hearts sweet? Would you give the primary affection of our hearts Jesus so that we give Jesus to others in our words? Would you come and do this now as we sing and as we pray and as we take communion? In your name we pray.